Father, we, we thank you that while we were still sinners and despite our sin and despite our rebellion and despite our idolatry, Lord, you loved us and you continue to love us, Lord. And you sent your son to die for us. And we thank you, Lord, that, 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 Lord, that, that in that love that you have, have loved us with a saving love, that we would know and respond to, to your work of grace, to, to your work through, of Christ on the cross, so that we can, Lord, be, not just be saved from our sin, not just be cleansed, but to be reconciled to you, to be in a right relationship with you, so that, that you, we could call you Father, Lord, and that we could be called children of God. And we recognize, though, that, that part of, of that, Lord, is that, that you have declared us righteous, but that you are working in us to, to start to, to more and more be sanctified, to live out, to be more and more holy, to be in, 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 in practice what you've already declared us to be. And we recognize that part of that comes from your loving discipline and your loving accountability and your loving work in our lives. And, and Lord, that that is out of your love for us. And that's also out of your, your love for the world, Lord, that, that we would be testimonies, that we would be light of what the kingdom of God looks like, of, of what it looks like that, that when you have changed our lives because of your work through Christ. And so, Father, we pray that as we consider these, this, this work of your church, Lord, this work of, of, of your church to, to bring about sanctification, to bring about discipline, Lord, for, uh, Lord, out of, for your glory, Lord, for our good and for the testimony to a watching world, we pray that you would teach us your ways this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are discussing the church. We're doing this unit on the church, and we talked about uh, what is the church, right? The church is a people. It's not a place. It's not just like any people. It's a regenerate people. Um, and it's it's not just any regenerate people. It's not just isolated individuals. That, that word, that, that idea of church really means an assembly. It's an assembled people. And we, we started looking at the question of who are these people and, and what do they look like as a church? And, and, and it's talking about that the people that are assembled together in the church is because they are committed to one another, that there's a sort of formal commitment. There's a covenantal commitment. That's what we call church membership. And as we've been talking that really that this picture of the Christian life done in community throughout the New Testament is underneath that idea of us devoting our lives to one another and living that out within the context of this covenant community of the local church. And we looked at that throughout the New Testament that the I cannot fully live out the Christian life without the we. That the, the I cannot live out what God has called me to do without those that I am committed to and they are committed to me as we live out that Christian life together. But we started looking at two weeks ago that it's not, but that the church is not just about the I and it's not even just about the we. That, that God's plan for the church is that God is, would be glorified through his church uh, amongst the watching world. That the church is meant to be a biblical witness. And there's two different ways that the church is meant to be a biblical witness. And that's what I have on your handout here. As we started looking at last time, the church is meant to be a biblical witness because the church is, is what makes the invisible visible. The local church is what makes the invisible visible. And we, we looked at Matthew 16 and we looked at all these metaphors of Christ building his church and we kind of summed it up two weeks ago uh, by saying that Jesus says he's going to build his assembly of people. He's going to build his church on Peter and his confession on the rock by giving Peter these keys, which unlock and lock 
his saving reign through the means of unsticking and sticking people together. So the way that Jesus is going to build his church, he's going to bind and loose. He's going to stick people together and he's going to loose or unstick people apart. And that reflects the realities of heaven, that what the church does in building the church and what the church does in sticking people together and unsticking people apart is a testimony to the world about the truths of heaven. We don't declare the truths of heaven in the sense of we decide heaven's policies. We reflect what heaven has already declared through his word. And, and, and we do that as a testimony through this sticking and unsticking, this binding and loosing, which we call church membership. That's the sticking together, right? And loosing or the unsticking apart, we call church discipline. And, and that reflects the realities of heaven. As we start to see is, is how this is described as we start looking at through Matthew 16 and 18 and 28, that, that the local church is pictured like an embassy, right? It's an embassy. So if you go to, you know, Vic was in a, a foreign country recently, right? Yeah. And so when Vic is in the foreign country, if, if he loses his, em, if he, his embassy, if he loses his passport, right, he can go to the embassy. Now, can the embassy make him a citizen, no, the embassy does not make him a citizen, right? It's not, well, I guess I'll just give you a passport here. But the embassy can recognize his citizenship. Yes, you do represent the United States of America and, and can, can reissue that passport to him. And that's what the local church is. The local church is, has the authority to represent heaven. We, we don't make the policies of heaven. We don't make someone citizens of heaven, but, but we do recognize what, what heaven's already declared. Who are the citizens of heaven? We testify that by binding them to us as a church. As I said before, when you become a Christian, that there is, you don't, there's no mark that you get spiritually, right? I remember um, as a, um, uh, a younger believer reading the Left Behind series. You guys remember the Left Behind series? And, I'm, and I remember thinking, because they, they said, like, talk about being marked and stuff. And, like, so when people actually became a Christian, they got a little, like, like spiritual tattoo thing, right? I don't even remember the story. But it's like they got this little cross tattoo or something on their forehead that the Holy Spirit just kind of made appear. And, like, wouldn't that be so much easier? <laughs> wouldn't it be easier to know, man, I don't know if Steve's a Christian or not. Can I just check if you've got that tattoo? <laughs> Did the Spirit give you a tattoo? Okay. Now, some people say, uh-oh. Spirit and tattoos don't, don't sound like good. I don't know. Talk to Hay and Jenkins. That's what they did in the Left Behind series. Um, but wouldn't that make it easier, right? In some ways, logically, it would make it easier to say, if you could tell if someone's really a Christian or not, it's because, like, you know, yeah, God gives them a spiritual tattoo or there's some sort of mark or they grow a, you know, a, a third eye or I don't know what it is, right? There's something you can tell that makes it visible because the, the reality of regeneration it's invisible, right? It's an invisible work. It's a spiritual work. It's a heart work where God gives us new life. Now, that should bear fruit, but sometimes it's tough to tell the fruit, right? How much fruit and how quickly the fruit and what kind of fruit. And it sometimes it's very difficult to tell. And so what is it? What is it that makes the invisible, this reality of our salvation, visible? So that it's a testimony to the nations that this person has the right gospel, the same gospel that Peter confessed. This person represents Jesus Christ as being bound to the local church. 
that the, 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 this church is, is testifying, these people speak for Jesus. Because they, 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 have, they, they, have, they are the right confessors of the gospel, with the right, the right confessors of the right confession, which is the gospel. So that's what this binding in membership is. And see, the thing is, you can't understand church discipline, which is an important doctrine of the church we're going to look at this morning. You can't understand church discipline unless you understand church membership. There is no church discipline if there is not church membership. Because it's the, it's the same concept. It's a binding and it's a loosing. So we testify to the world of, of making the invisible visible through the binding together in the local church, but we also make a testimony to the world through the loosing together through church discipline. So let's look at that this morning. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5. There are two major New Testament passages as we look at this idea of church discipline. And... Um, one of them is 1 Corinthians 5, one of them is Matthew 18. When I was originally kind of outlining this of what we're going to talk about, uh, on your handouts, I put Matthew 18 first. Oops, not going to do that. I'm going to do 1 Corinthians 5, and then we're going to go to Matthew 18. Because what I want to start with 1 Corinthians 5 is that sometimes we want to jump into Matthew 18 and say, what do we do for church discipline? What does church discipline look like? And what are the procedures? And, and the, oh, that's good. I'm not trying to say that's not good. But I want to look at Why? Why is church discipline important? What is it that church discipline does? And, and, and we see in Matthew 18, part of that is what we normally focus on is church discipline is we would love someone so that we'd call them to repentance. That is true. I don't want to deny that. But there's something so much more at stake than just an individual relationship on church, member, or church discipline. That church discipline is meant as a declaration just like church membership, of the kingdom. And it is about the glory of God. And it's about a witness of the people of God. The, 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 and, and so that's what we see. So let's talk about the why of church discipline here in 1 Corinthians 5. So 1 Corinthians 5, um, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth. And it's a, and it's a response. They, they sent him a previous letter, or possibly previous letters, with troubling reports that Paul's heard about the church. And he addresses one of these troubling reports in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So... Look there. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. So verses 1 and 2, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of such a kind that is not tolerated even amongst the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So here's the situation, right? Here's what's going on in Corinth. Uh, the implication of what Paul's describing here is one of his church, one of the church members has taken his father's wife. Probably the church member is in a relationship with his stepmom. Just not cool, right? This is just, just, this is, they're having this, 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 this immoral relationship. This is, this is something so bad that even the pagan, licentious, sexually immoral culture would say, that's wrong. Right. This is something. This is like. This is like writing to the church, you know, First Baptist Church of Las Vegas, and saying, everyone in Las Vegas thinks you guys are bad. You guys are just immoral people. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine somewhere, but Las Vegas is probably just about as is like you know anything goes as it gets. Right. That's the commercials. Right. What's what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. It's just about just as immoral as you can get. This is like the people of Las Vegas going, man, those guys, they're really sinners. What they're doing there, we would never do that. That's so bad. I mean, that's what the churches do. That's what's happening in the church. And as, 
and here's what's shocking. Here's what's amazing. If that were us today, right? If, if, if we were writing to a church or we were writing to people, you know what, at least my thought, my focus would be on is on you got this person that needs to be dealt with in the sense of the problem is this person and their sin. And Paul is not focused on the person. He never once addresses that person in his letter. If you notice, read the rest of 1 Corinthians 5. He never once addresses that person. The bigger problem is not just what this guy's doing. The problem, what Paul is most concerned about is the what? The church. You guys see that there in 1 Corinthians 5? See, Paul is more concerned about what the church is doing than about the immorality of the man. The, The bigger issue is what this does to the church. So instead of mourning over his sin, being grieved that, that, that he's doing this, instead of taking action about this sin, Paul says that they're being arrogant. We, we don't know what sort of arrogance. Different commentators disagree. Um, some think that they're, they're arrogant in spite of what's going on. They're, kind of, they're saying, look how great, great Christians we are. And well, isn't that guy? Well, we just kind of ignore that. Right? So in spite of it, they're denying what's going on. Some people think that it's arrogant because of what's going on, or they're saying, see, Jesus saves everybody. And, and, and God's grace is big enough that you can do anything and God forgives you. So this, this is great that this guy's doing that because it shows the grace of Jesus. We, we don't know which way it is, but it's, it's something in there, right? And either way, the problem is, is that they're not doing anything. So instead of, 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 of taking some sort of action about this, this sin in the church, that they're letting this person tarnish the reputation of God, that they're telling the world that's watching this and saying, this is just immoral. They're saying this person represents Jesus Christ. So when the, what this person is doing and, and the attitude that this person has in committing the sin, that's what Jesus approves of. That, 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 so the church looks just as immoral in the world and the church is testifying Jesus makes no difference. What you do, what we do, there's no difference. The, Jesus doesn't really make a difference in our lives. Yeah. And don't you see some of that today? And some of the things that the churches allow? Yeah. And, uh, and, that, and I see people who say, see, Christians are just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that... It does, it does pervade in the church in a really serious way. I I think that there are aspects where where we can learn, we we have much to learn there, right? And and I think part of it is because um, the idea of church discipline, right, this idea of of that is is lost, I would say, amongst many churches today. I I also think that there is, um, I I think that there's a wonderful exaltation of grace without also an equal exaltation of holiness and sanctification, which is, um, which I would say we should not lessen grace, but we should also make sure that, that we also exalt uh, sanctification and holiness and righteousness, that the, the, the scripture also. And so I think that from those two problems, I think you see a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the you in verse 1 and verse 2 is to the whole church, not just to the elders, yeah, I, I mean, well, first of all, yeah. So you look at the among you, right? So you're looking at this, the, the plural together, and you have to. If you're saying, well, who who are we, is this directed to? You know, First Corinthians one to the church of God that's in Corinth and those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so it's in, and that's you know, I'm going to pick up later is that this is not 
just an elder responsibility. Right. And maybe that's where you're going to, which you're helping me out. So thank you, Judy. Um, that this is not just about, oh, I hope the pastors take care of this, or I hope the elders take care of this. Now, we understand, when we understand how the, the scripture describes leadership, leaders are supposed to lead, right? So that there's an important, that, that where are the elders that are called to keep watch over, over the, the souls, right? So there is a, by implication, there's some issues there, but it's not just that. It is an er- that, that what Paul's talking about here, and we're going to see in Matthew 18 as well, is an every member responsibility, right? That we have committed to one another for this, and we, out of our love for God and our love for others, that we would we live that out. So. When you get to verse 11, be still, but actually I wrote to you that you should be still and know that I am God. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, yeah, I mean, in the context of the, the letter, the, there, unless there's a grammatically distinguishing saying, well, if he's talking in this way, is, he, is there something grammatical? Is there something in, in the context that's saying he's shifting his focus and, and there's nothing in there, that, there's nothing that, that's happened thus far that he would do that? He's talking to the church, yeah, to the church as a whole. And, and most likely, right, this letter that would be read by the church, and so, or read to the church. So, um, so let's, let's keep reading. Yeah, so, okay, verses three through five. For though absent in the body, I'm present in the spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. So he's saying that he's present in spirit in the sense that he's, he is making these declarations as if he was right there for them. But what, here's what's, again, what's amazing. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has the authority of an apostle. We've seen this throughout the New Testament. And Paul could have theoretically, right, just said, I've made this declaration. It's already done. This person's out. But he doesn't do that, right? What does he do? In his authority, it's not that he's making a declaration that's already done. In his authority, he's making a declaration to, to the church. You guys see it? He's saying, you have to do this. Again, it's the responsibility of the local church. This is one of those pictures, um, as we talked about the membership class, we, we did a membership class, that the autonomy of the local church, right? And not a hierarchical system, like a presbytery system or a... Um, uh, uh, Episcopal system, but the autonomy of the local church that, that Paul is saying, it's the local church's responsibility to bind and loose. It is the local church's responsibility to do this action, to loose this person from membership. Um, and so, um, and, and look at the pur- purpose there. Look at the purpose of the removal. That they're to remove in the church, they're to remove the affirmation that he's a Christian, right? Again, he's not saying whether, he's not saying whether this person is a Christian or not. You guys notice that throughout the entire chapter. Nowhere does he say, because this person's not a Christian. Or does he say, ah, this person still might be a Christian. He never makes a declaration either way. But what he's doing, he's calling for an action that they're going to treat him based on this unrepentant action. He's acting and living like a non-Christian. And so that they're, since he's living like part of the world, they're going to turn him back to the world, to the worldly sphere of Satan, which is what is being demonstrated in his life, which will, if you look there, will hopefully result. So you deliver this man to Satan for, for the result, you guys see that? For the result of the grammar there, for the result of the destruction of his flesh. That they're, they're hoping that through this action, it, it's going to 
destroy the carnality of sin, which he refuses to repent from. Nothing else is working. Maybe this will call him to repent. So that, so here's what you're to do for this result, ultimately for this purpose. What is the purpose of all of this? That he may repent, right? That he may repent and be saved on the last day. So that, Well, you look, look, look at temporally. If you look temporally on, right there, right? The, the, he's saved when? On the last day. Or in the last day. In, in, in on, it, 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 it could be taken either way as a preposition. So, but the idea, and, and Paul's idea of salvation, right? Eschatological, right? That in a way we are saved, but we know we're saved in the sense of we've not actually stood before God and heard innocent, right? We are saved because what God, what is, it's already been declared in advance what God is going to do, right? And so, so in a sense of saying, the goal is that he would, on that last day, the goal is that he will stand there. Now today, I don't think he's making, he's not making a declaration. He's making a declaration of our hope, what he will be on the last day. Does that mean that he's saved now and that will be shown true on the last day? Maybe. Does it mean that he's not saved now and that he might get saved to be saved on the last day? It could be that too. Because right, the temporal nature is that, that, that statement, right, is that he may be saved, or I just lost my verse, uh, may be saved on the last day, on the day of the Lord. It's an eschatological, it's an end time statement. So there's no assurance. There's no assurance, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that he's, he's not making a declaration that the guy's not saved now. And he's not making a declaration that the guy is saved now and that, this, you know, that he's for sure going to repent. He is ambiguous as of what his state is right now. Um, he's living like he's not saved. So they're going to treat him like he's not saved. But the hope is, is that whether, whatever he is, because we can't tell right now, is that on the last day, our actions are going to bring about his repentance and salvation. Whether that is, is coming back to the Lord in repentance or whether it is a first-time repentance. And so, because this is an end-time, eschatological end-time statement. Does that make sense? Does that help? And so, everyone tracking? Yeah. When you start reading from six to nine mm-hmm. and all the way to the end, yeah, he does make a pretty firm conviction. Get rid of him. He does, he does, and so and that's why. So he he starts and, and thank you for for keep, keeping us going, Ron. Um, <laughs> is that is that we we start? He starts. He does say he doesn't deny that this is out of love for the person, right? I mean, and that's what's so we we often. And so I want to get there, but let me let me give you one more minute here, and so and then we'll. But there's the idea is that we often think that discipline is unloving, right? Or at least our society thinks that discipline is unloving, society would say. And and yet, I think society ultimately also would say that discipline is a good thing, right? That that a good good coach disciplines their their, their team, right? I mean, you, you see that every Saturday, every Sunday, you know, talk about the NBA finals right now and the importance of being disciplined, right? The rod and the staff. Huh? The rod and the staff. Yeah, yeah. The the, yeah, and so even, even, but I would say even our culture understands that important music, right? Oh, the discipline that they've had to have and, and put into those sort of things. And the, but then it also transfers o- to over to things like the home, right? And, and discipline in the home and the discipline of, of, yes, of the shepherd to the sheep of God for us. And so we see that this is ultimately a, a, an act of love, right? When it's done with the purposes of love. But Ron's pointing out, it's true that this, see, Matthew 18 kind of stops there of we discipline because we love people and we, we care about where they're going to spend eternity. 
And we don't want people to be self-deceived um, in, in thinking, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm just doing whatever I want and Christ is having made no difference in my life, but I prayed a prayer or I threw a stick in the fire and so that's enough, right? But, but so we don't want people to be self-deceived, but I love 1 Corinthians 5. That's why I want to start here because 1 Corinthians 5 says it's so much more than just your love for the person. You do this, yes, out of love for another person. You do this, yes, out of your love and obedience for God, but it's also so much more than that. So that's where Ron's pointing us. So uh, look at verses six through eight. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that even a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, that you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, I don't bake. I, I, I just don't. And um, I remember one time where uh, Amanda was out. I think she was maybe the deaconess or ministry. She was, she was out somewhere and she'd taken the, the car with a car seat. We, we'd only had Isaac at this time. And I'd promised Isaac dessert. And so we walk out to the car to drive into town and get dessert. And there's no car seat in the other car. Well, that's a problem, right? And now I've got a three-year-old or whatever he was, and, and he had been promised dessert. And, and, and he was not going to forget that because uh, it's like a mind like a trap, right? And so I go scrounging through the cupboards, right? And so it's near the end of the month. We you know, haven't done our, our new month, a new budget for shopping, and, and there's, no, there's nothing. I mean, we normally have like some candy jar of mints or there's something usually. Right? There's nothing. There is nothing that, that we've got, right? I mean, there's not even chocolate chips, right? Because, so, I mean, if I could do a bowl of chocolate chips, I would have done a bowl. There's nothing, right? There's no, oh, no, I, oh, trust me. That that's that one of the first places to go, right? And so, so what do you do? And so I, 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 so I actually am like, okay, well, I guess I, I will try to bake. And I will try to make... Uh, we have raisins and we have enough that I'm looking at online. Here's a recipe that could do oatmeal raisin cookies with things that we have. <laughs> yeah, those cookies sat around for a long time. <laughs> first of all, I didn't know how much it measured, so I think I made like two or three dozen because um, I, I made the first batch and there's still this whole thing of like cookie dough left. I'm like, well, I guess I got to cook this too. And uh, <laughs> after that, I mean, Isaac ate some that night because you know, anything with sugar in it, he's going to eat, right? Um, but then for like the next weeks, like Amanda didn't touch them, Liz didn't touch them, Isaac didn't touch them. So I'm li- literally having to finish these cookies, which were not that great. So when I, you know you read this thing about leaven, I'm like, I don't know. I remember studying this for the first time. What, what is that? I don't know. What is that? This is cooking stuff. Um, and so from my understanding, and you can correct me, but uh, is that the idea is that when you you make a portion of bread, is you would that, that you could you you would keep back part of the the the, the last dough uh, last part of the dough, right, to bring it into the new one, so the yeast and things would ferment and 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 and, and spread through the new batch of dough, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, good. Corey's giving me a uh huh. There we go. So. Um, and so Paul is, and Paul here is saying this, metaf- this leaven is a metaphor for sin. And so he's saying that, listen, this, what this person is doing is not just about him. It's not just about him and God. It's not just about his soul, but it's about how he affects the church. That when the church does not deal with this issue of sin, it will spread through and affect the whole community. Now, if you think about it, part of the, the logic would, could be saying, well, does it affect the whole community that everyone's going to be doing the same thing? That everyone's going to be committing sexual immorality? Yeah. No. 
That's not the logic. But what he's saying, it's going to affect the whole community and that the reputation that this person has amongst the Gentiles, that's what he focused on beginning, is affected the entire church. The entire church's witness has been ruined, has been fermented. So we're to celebrate the festival it's a Passover imagery when the Jews would clean out all the leaven from their house. And so when I lived in Israel, you know, that, that, um, that, that what I was told is that extreme, extreme Orthodox families would have four different sets of dishes and silverware, right? So it's not just your normal set and your china, right? Or your nice, nice. We have people, I remember that as a kid, right? You had your normal stuff, like the little plastic one. So if we dropped it on the floor, it's like, oh, well. And there's the nice plates. It's like, no, you cannot take that to the sink to wash up. No, only mommy and daddy touches those plates, right? Well, in, in, in Israel, you had two different plates. You had one for, because of kosher laws and kosher following, right? You have one for meat and one for cheese, right? So you can't have one meal with both meat and cheese because of, of rabbinic culture restrictions, which was a huge surprise for me. I almost gave the person at Subway a heart attack when I'm like, yeah, I'll have some roast beef and some Swiss. And like, <gasps> no, you can't do that. <laughs> um, so they have two, two sets of, of, um, of, of dishes, one for meat, one for cheese. And then if you're extremely religious, you actually have a pass over set of dishes for meat and cheese as well because you have nothing that's had leaven on it can be used for during the Passover time right and, and so you could you clean out all the leaven from the house and eat lots of matzo ball soup and, and, and that's that's that and so what he's saying here is he's using this Passover image you're saying we need to clean out that leaven so that it's not affecting everyone so in other words um, that that there so that we show that there is something different there is something different about those who proclaim Christ. Not that we're better than other people, right? It's not that I'm a good person, and if you don't have Christ, you're a bad person. It's that, yes, we are all sinners, but when I've turned my life over to Christ, he saved me from my sin, and as I follow him as who he is, the, my Lord, that there's something different in our lives, right? So this, isn't, this is not to say that, that we don't have sin, but to say that, that Jesus does change us, that when you've met Jesus and he saves a wretch like you and me, things are different. We live differently. There's something different about us because of the Jesus who saved us. And, and we need to, and he's saying to the church, First Corinthians community, as long as that person's in the community, you don't have that witness. You have lost that witness between the, that that those who have been changed by Jesus, those inside the church, and those who have not been changed by Jesus, those outside the church. So there's supposed to be this markedly difference between those inside the church and those outside the church. And then look at verses 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since this would be, need to go out of the world. So this is not just about sexual immorality. This is, this is about any unrepentant sin. But I'm not writing to. You, but I am right now writing to. Uh, but I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For that, uh, for what I have to do with judging outsiders, it is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So you see what Paul's doing here. He says, because of, the reputa- because of the reputation of God, because of the way the church testifies to what Jesus does in our lives, that there needs to be a difference between those inside and those outside the church. And, and that, that affects, first of all, how we interact with them, right? That we're not to avoid 
interacting with immoral people outside the church. He says, those are the people you're supposed to be with, right? You're supposed to engage with. You're supposed to spend time with. Because what other way do they have, right? Except to live in their sin unless they hear the gospel. In Romans 10, how are they going to hear the gospel without someone to bring that good news to them, right? They're not coming here. We need to go to them. But the difference, those he says to not uh, be with in this way are those who are inside the church or declared inside the church as part of that bear the name brother or sister in Christ. And that, see, and that, that we're to make some sort of judgment there. And, and, and so our judging is not the same as God's judging. We don't have that kind of authority. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, that, that, that there's an ultimate judging there. But what Paul says that there is a judging that we are called to do in a boundary between the church and the world. That there's a type of, of judgment that the church is supposed to make that puts this unrepentant man outside the church. Not in a final judgment that we declare your eternal destiny, but based on what, what God says a Christian is, that's not what you're living to be. Right? He's not saying whether they're saved or not, but he's saying that he's living not as a Christian. And, and, and so they're to put him out of the church. They're to loose him from the fellowship, the opposite of binding, saying, this person might be a, a believer, but we can no longer testify to the world that this, this person stands for Jesus. That, that, is, that, that there's something different about what Jesus does to us as a church, and that person is, is outside of it. And so let me, let me sum it up this way, and obviously we're not going to get too much to Matthew 18, but why church discipline? It, it's, it's not just about our love for the other person. It is true, but it's also about our love our love for the world and the testimony we have to the world. That the church displays the glory of God to the watching world. And that's why Paul is so much more concerned with the church's situation than just this man's situation because of the testimony that that brings to a watching world. So, so we, we, we bind and we loose because we recognize that what we do as a church and, and, and how we bind and loose as a church affects the testimony we have to a watching world. It affects the way that God is represented to the world. And so, so, so we do church discipline as a loving act. I love Jonathan Lehman. He says that, 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 that church discipline is all about love. It's about our love for God, that we would desire to see God glorified. It's about our love for the unrepentant sinner. It's that we would desire for the sake of their soul to, to repent for, so that they may be saved on the last day. And it's about our love for the world, that, that, that the world would see uh, the testimony of Christ's saving power, to see what, what the kingdom of God really looks like. What does it look like when Jesus changes your life as your Savior and your Lord? So we'll, we'll get to Matthew 18. Let me, let me ask any questions because we'll do, I, I don't want to rush Matthew 18. I think there's just so many Good nuggets there. We'll, we'll kind of finish that up next week. But questions, thoughts, comments? Yeah. You're good. You're fine. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure Paul, I'm not sure Paul defines it, right? So I think there's some wisdom there. Um, I think that there's a clear thing he does define as in the sense of um, um, membership. You could say loosing and binding in Matthew's language, right? There's a, a associate in the sense of, of, of one church together, right? Which is why, if I can, yeah, okay, just a couple minutes. Uh, let me go on a soapbox here real quick. This is why you can't have church discipline without church membership. Or I should say you can't have what Paul's describing is healthy church discipline without church membership. 
Because if you don't have church membership, and what, what that means to discipline is to put them out of the membership, what you're left with is shunning. Right? And that's not what he's talking here. It, it's not a shunning of the sense of, of if, if you have no church membership, then what church discipline is, is you can no longer be around us. You can't come to church. You can't come in the building. You can't. And, and that's not what's being described either in Matthew 18 or, Matthew, or, or here, right? Because the idea is that, that they want to bring them to repentance. We see, I, I think, I would say that the person in 2 Corinthians is this person who's brought to repentance or at least someone like him, right? So there's been some influence in their lives. And, and so, but if you're left with what you're taking away is any association, I think you're left with a, 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 a distorted view of church discipline. This is a, this view of shunning, where what church discipline is, it's a removal of membership. It's a removal of the affirmation of the church that we can treat you like a believer. So, so we want you to come to church. We want you to hear the gospel. We want you to come to Bible study. We want you to, to, to see these things, but we can't treat you as a Christian. We can't associate with you as a brother and sister in Christ. And, and, and we, so we would ask you not to take the communion. We would not ask you to not to do the normal things that, that, that Christians would partake in. But we want you to be here because we want you to hear the gospel because we want you to repent. You see that, that without, the, without church membership, church discipline gets turned into something that's, that's been twisted into this, this, this idea of, of, of this, this shunning, which I think is, is not meant to be there. So there's an association. There's that eating, right? That eating language. I think that some people would take that, uh, do not eat, even eat with such a one. Some would take that as, as far as Lord's Supper language, right? Because if you look in 1 Corinthians, that's the, the Lord's Supper type of, type of language. Lord's Supper was also um, c- uh, part of this family church meal where brothers and sisters would, would we are sharing one meal as the church family. So it's this idea of, I mean, I would take it, take it probably more in that way of that they're, associate as, as being able to be part of the family of God, as being able to be part of the church be, in, in the sense of a, a member of the church. And so. Kind of like back to that embassy model. If, you, if an ambassador yeah. goes to a country, he represents the United States. Yeah. If they take away his ambassadorship, hmm. he can still go to that country, but hmm. he no longer represents the U.S. Hmm. I think there's some, yeah, there's some interesting He's things there. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. You for the perp- it's only for the purpose of presenting the gospel. That's- I can see that. I guess how do you define purpose of presenting the gospel? You know, I think of relationships I have. Yeah, I think of relationships I have that I, I build the relationship. I, I, I can think of several right now where I'm building the relationship, and it's not that. When I hang out with them next, I want to get through the four spiritual laws real quick, right? It's I'm getting there, but my goal is to to, to be able to, to, to for them to be able to hear the gospel, right? That it, it may not be all in the next time I sit down with them, all they're going to hear from me is is repent, 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 right? That, that there there there's wisdom in that, but but that the goal, ultimate goal is is that, and and I think that there. There's a difference there too, of the sense of if that is my goal with someone who is claiming they're a Christian. And, and, and we've declared that, that, that they're not living like it. It's saying, well, that changes my relationship with you. Things that we used to do together, we, we just can't do together anymore. And the way we interact, we just can't interact because I, uh, we're, unless you repent, I don't know if you're a Christian or not. And so I don't know if that helps. But yeah. you, you present this very clearly, almost black and white. Hmm. But 
<laughs> no, there's difficult situations that aren't black and white. I think, um, I think one, that's where Matthew 18 comes in, in practicality. Matthew 18, and we'll look at next week, is, is see, see, the problem with Matthew 18 is Matthew 18 without 1 Corinthians 5, you, you lose the heart, some of the heart of it, right? And it becomes just, just direction. And so sometimes that becomes legalism, right? Whereas when you understand the heart, sometimes you go, well, you have the heart, but how do you do it? So that's, I think that's the right question because Paul in here is, is talking about the heart of why this is important without some of the details of, of what, how that walks along. And I think Matthew 18 is so good because Matthew 18 is, is gives a whole bunch of, of clues of, of what are the things of, of, of okay, what, sexual immorality is clear, but what about someone who, is, who you feel is prideful? Do, is, is that something in the same way? And, and I think Matthew 18 makes that clear, right? Some things that are more difficult. What do you do if, if you think someone has sinned, but someone else doesn't think they've sinned? So that helps make that clear because you're involving other people and they're to, to come and judge the situation, both and if that person's repentant, but also if they're in the sin in the first place. So that there's some steps that Matthew 18, I think, really helps. And, and, and ultimately, I think that, that you, you have to go a little bit beyond those two passages and you're saying, that's why God has gifted the body, to this, this action, thank God that I am not responsible to, for deciding who is inside and outside the kingdom or to declaring that on my own, right? Okay, I have a friend that I do coffee with and I am the one who will church discipline him. That just that doesn't make sense. That's why we're talking before with, with, with people say, saying, you can, you can do a lot of these church things outside the church. And I said, yes, you can. But it's primarily meant to be in the church because when you get to certain issue like this one, you can't do this with Christian friends you have coffee with. There is, no, there is no membership in church discipline. And so, but so we have wisdom, and that's why I think that you look at it as be, to be brought before the entire church so that the, that the things are, are, are seen and saying, well, do you, did you know this or this? Or have you? And, and, and also wisdom of, of a plurality of elders. I mean, you're looking at that there are things that, that God has gifted by his grace to, to help walk us maneuver through, yes, a lot of very difficult gray situations. I, it's, it's, I, it's, it's rarely clear. Right, this one, First Corinthians five, is pretty easy. I mean, if this happened in our church, you know, someone is is in a relationship with their stepmom and refusing to repent, I think it's a pretty cut and dry, right? But there are more difficult ones, and I think that's where Matthew eighteen is such a blessing. And so, yeah, yeah. Another thing, Thompson and McLeod get into boundaries, a word that a lot of people, including myself, have trouble with called enabling Mm -hmm. okay and sometimes we are even chambers oswald chambers Mm -hmm. says that we get in the way of god working with the person uh by you know trying to support them and yeah and uh showing sympathy rather than compassion yeah and uh i know i uh when i was broken with alcohol there was no one around to enable me when i was in the jail of san jose Mm. it was between me god and my brokenness. Yeah. And until a person, and I love your prayer, where you pray for, um, and I use it all the time, that you uh, pray for sin to bring the person down to their knees mm. to accept Christ. Yeah. You know, so it all kind of just fits together. Yeah. That it's an issue between that person and God. Yeah. And we can try to help, but only the Holy Spirit can guide me. How far do I go yeah. with this situation? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, and because and that's and, and, and that's a lar- that is a large part of this, right? And that's what 
you know, we, that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the goal of this was repentance. So, so bring this person back into fellowship. That's why, you know, in, in churches, I love the stories of people who, who they, they see this, that people who just will not repent are just stubborn and stuck in their sin. And sometimes it takes something like this to, to be able to, to open their eyes and then be able to rejoice at their, their repentance and, and restoration. So. You know, almost all of our forefathers in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, yeah. okay, were broken before yeah. they accepted yeah. God. Yeah, I think we have, a, we have the beautiful example of that they are sinners that, that needed, needed God's grace, but needed to respond to that in repentance, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesse. Baptism can be summed up as an act of restoration. Yeah, yeah. I think, and that's why I think First Corinthians is helpful. I think it's an act of restoration out of for the sake of the person, but it's also for the sake of the testimony of the church. And so maybe that's a good way to sum it up. And, 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 and that gets lost. So we're going to look at Matthew 18 next week. We'll look at some details. And, and I think that helps us as we look at that and, and put a couple more pieces together. And, and then we're going to look at the, the second, after that, we'll look at the, the second way that, 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 um, that, 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 that uh, the way we live together is a testimony. And that's through the, the unity of the church and the love of the church, which we see as important as well. So let me pray for us. And, and uh, I got to do a prayer meeting before uh, the service here. So I'm going to get going. Father, we just thank you and we thank you that you, you, you do love us. We thank you that you, you, you love us so much that Hebrews 13 says that, that you would discipline us as those who you love, Lord, so that you would uh, bring about the fruit of righteousness. And so we just thank you for that. We pray that, you would, that we would uh, respond to your love for us, Lord, with, with the praise and worship of you. We thank you that we are sinners, Lord. And, and we thank you that, that, Lord, you opened our eyes to the broken condition that we're in so that we could respond with repentance. We could respond <coughs> to, to your offer and, and receive full forgiveness and pardon and cleansing and, and that, that we'd rejoice in light of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.